Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I think if you have the ability to do things, I think it would... Where I was in my previous job, I was there for a long time, many years, but I think I was there longer than I needed to be. And I have a family, I have young kids, you've got to take that in consideration, but I think you can take risks. If you can perform, you have the ability to do so. I think you just, I think you take a leap of faith and you make it happen, and, and I'm glad I did. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Oh, just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fund That Flip, you know Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fund That Flip and their sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you gotta do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've gotta qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's gonna help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, hello. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out all the fluff and we only talk about the best real estate investing advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Jay Papazan, the co-author of The One Thing with Gary Keller, many other best ever guests. And with us today, we've got an experienced hard money lender. How you doing, Jeremy Raywald? 
Doing fantastic, Joe. Good to good to talk with you, and thanks for having me on your show. And I'm, I'm excited to be in front of the best ever listeners. Yeah, my pleasure. And nice to nice to have you on the show. And I don't get to talk to many Texas Tech alums, but you did graduate from Texas Tech University, as did I. And so I'm really looking forward to talking to a fellow Red Raider. A little bit more about Jeremy, and then he'll get into it. He is the owner of Wildcat Lending, which is a hard money lender on non-homestead one to four unit residential properties, basically investment properties, one to four units. His company is currently servicing a portfolio of 25 million bucks. He has 13 years of residential lending experience. As I mentioned, he went to Texas Tech University and he's based in Dallas, Texas. You can say hi to him and check out his company at wildcatlending.com. That being said, Jeremy, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, my background is I got into the business in 2002. I graduated from Texas Tech in December of 2000, and I started in the subprime and worked my way up to the Altay and then to the prime market and then uh, was a loan originator and had some success there and then eventually ran sales for a company here in Dallas or actually in Plano and then uh, was an investment or investor in a fund in this side of lending and said, you know what, why would I not do this? So we did it. We made a change. We jumped on it and the company was created in November of 2014 and we've grown the company to 25 million and we're, we're trying to expand to 40 million. So we're doing about half of what the big players in our space do on, a, on an annual basis. And it's been a really fun time and it's been a lot of learning involved as well. With hard money lending, when you say that you are servicing a portfolio of $25 million, as a business owner, how do you project if I'm at 40 million, then the revenues are going to be this much? On our structure, we raise outside capital, and then we have bank debt, so we leverage with that. But uh, anyways, as, as, as far as the revenue is concerned, yeah, I mean, as, as depending on how our structure is, that's a whole other conversation in a lot of details. The, obviously, the more servicing or the more uh, interest income you would receive, the more revenue, obviously, more revenue split. So that's basically how it would work at that. What are your fees, typically? We're a hard money lending company, so we lend on investment properties. So our interest rate is 12%. All right. So this is basically for the people that are going to buy an investment property that's typically distressed. Their intent is to rehab it, and then their exit strategy is going to be, are they going to flip it, or are they going to hold for cash flow? We're 12%, but it's a very short-term loan. Mm-hmm. Okay. And any points? We're 12 and three points origination. So as we get to know people and do multiple deals with folks, we'll drop that down to two points origination. And what we do in our space, take out the private money side of things that our product is extremely competitive as it relates to the Texas market. And do you then package those loans up and sell them or do you keep them? No, we service every one of them, man, but we do package deals up and we take them to the bank and that's how we advance off our line and leverage the bank debt. And so will you walk us through how that works? Yeah, so what we do, the bank has certain collateral documents that they want, so we'll package that up, and then we have an agreement that, that they'll give us 50% of the note amount. So we'll package that up, and then literally we'll, we'll basically create a file, and then we'll hand-deliver the original documents to the bank, and then they'll process it, and then they'll credit our account 50% of the note amount. So we actually have to close a deal and fund a deal, and then we can package that deal and take it to our bank at that point. And then that helps with the line of credit, and then you're able to lend on more money. 
Correct. So we have our outside capital, which we pay a preferred rate to our investors, plus we split profits and so forth. And then we're loaning the money from the bank at a, at a lot, much lower percentage, which is how you can juice your returns and then service your debt, obviously, but then pay that back to your investors. So, Joe, we're paying right now, annualized, about 15% return on our, our investors' money. You mentioned earlier that you were investing in a fund and then you wanted to get on the side of actually the fund managers. Did you structure it similarly to how the fund was that you were investing in? Some of the legal documents or the terminology is different, but for the most part, yeah, it's very similar to there. So what we're going to try to be more efficient by less overhead, meaning we don't have, there's three of us who, who are owners in the company, and then we have two employees. So we're going to stay very small, lean and mean and efficient, and then we're going to just outperform, hopefully, and then provide those returns. We kind of stayed comparable to what they did, but on what we thought would be better and so forth. So basically, you get money that's relatively inexpensive from banks. You then lend that out to individuals who have a rehab and do a, a flip, most likely, and sometimes in that hold, but then they'll have to cash out or something in another loan. And you then... With that spread, you pay out some to the investors, and then you keep some for yourself as well as a servicing fee. Yeah, so basically what we do, we pay a preferred rate, and then we split profits. We've got to pay for our expenses, but you know, as far as the fund's concerned, the capital investors don't really incur any expenses, so it's all run through the parent entity, but we will split the profits after we pay the preferred rate. And then with the bank debt, then we can lend out more money, obviously leverage that, and then we can spike our returns by by doing so. But yeah, it's prime plus 1%, so the rates are pretty solid. And we're lending out at 12%, plus if we can get two to three points on deals and turn that money every six months, then you can see how that works. But we have to have the outside capital and the bank debt to be able to continue to lend because $25 bucks is a lot of money. But the real estate market, especially in Texas, is performing well. And I think that's going to stay the same based on what I read and see and analyze for the foreseeable future. You mentioned that you made some updates based on what you were seeing on your fund compared to the one you're investing in. What were those updates? I think a lot of it is just kind of the nuts and bolts of how if you want to withdraw your funds from there, a lockup period, just some of the things, you know, if the economy were to tank and then we'd have to a max exodus of that, just kind of the process, just kind of basically more structure and kind of a process of how we're going to systematically pay that money back to our investors and then kind of go through there. So we're going to look at it from in our legal docs and to our investors on protecting them as well as us. So just making sure there's a process in place. Basically, if anything could happen or would happen, that, that we have that covered and it's certainly disclosed to our investors. Is a fund really the only way that you can run your business, or are there other ways? You can have a very wealthy partner, mm. <laughs> and you can use your own personal money. So in our fund, we're required to have 10% of our own money into the fund, which I think is pretty critical to the investors that they know that we believe in our own concept. But yeah, I mean, you can lend your own money, but I mean, at some point, I mean, if you're growing 20, I mean, what do you have liquid or available to be able to do that? And then you're going to risk what amount, you know? So yeah, you can have your own money. You can use bank debt, but outside capital is, is basically, and it's more or less friends and family. So we're going to focus on you know allowing that as our investors, and it's been pretty well received. So there's three of us, like I said, who own the company. We're 33% owners each. Our third partner, who's, I call him our capital partner, but he was able to get us off the ground. And plus, he's the one that got me invested aside of lending and the fund and, and, and structuring these deals. And then, and then we just kind of expanded on that and just trying to perform at a high level. The 10% that you have to have in the deal, is that proportionate to your ownership? 
So you each put in 3.33%? No, just total, the combined effort. So, yeah, we just have to – it could be one person with 10%. It could be all three of us combined. But right now, Joe, we're sitting about 19 to 20% capitalized. So as far as what we're concerned, we, we obviously believe in it, and the returns are pretty healthy. So, Why did you pick this business? I got roped into it. So I've been in lending and sales since 2002. And once you get sucked into lending in the real estate market, it seems like you can't get out. But I mean, the market, the conventional, the traditional side of things, I mean, it just, there's a lot of change, regulation, compliance, quality control, just the amount of people involved in each loan you're trying to originate. And, and I ran sales. So I'm hiring, I'm firing, I'm, I'm training, I'm, I'm doing, it just became a hard process. The learning curve seemed because all the information that was involved, the guidelines, so forth, the changes uh, on a very regular basis, just became tough from that standpoint. So the learning curve was longer than it typically was, plus they're commission-based. So you're trying to get them up to speed and, and earn a nice paycheck. And if they can't do it in a reasonable amount of time, well, then they're not making money, and then they either move on or you have to make a change. So with all that being said, in that world, I mean, the rates were great and the fees were great and, and all that stuff. It just became a level playing field, in my opinion, to where I like to be efficient, I like to perform, I like to be in control. And then in this side of lending, it's, it's non-regulated because we're lending on non-homesteaded properties. And then, so the guidelines are our guidelines. We put them together. We disclose them to our investors. And then we adhere to them, but there are guidelines. And then we have discretion on certain things. So we're in full control. And I, along with one of our other partner, his name is Kai Chandler, we actually are on the front lines. We originate everything. We take all the calls. We do the business development. We do everything. And that's by design because... If you're dealing with, in our opinion, with an owner, then obviously you have the ability to make decisions pretty quick, and then you can uh, make sure you, you know your turn times and efficiencies are in for how you want to perform. How do you all differentiate yourself from other hard money lenders? The main reason is our, our product is very good. I don't want to sound too generic, but our performance. So you're dealing with an owner as, in far, uh, uh, as compared to a loan officer. And so performance, building relationships, Obviously, knowing what you're doing, actually being transparent with people, just taking care of your customers and understanding that it's a relationship-type business. We're on the front lines with them. We're trying to partner with them on these deals. Everyone's trying to make a profit, and we're not trying to be a thorn in their side, so we're going to be efficient and as easy to work with as, as possible. And then we're going to try to help them get these deals completed as quickly as they can so they can move them, flip them, and then they can go and find their next deal. Performance is the answer to your question. Got it. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever is take risk. Don't be scared. I think if you have the ability to do things, I think it would, where I was in my previous job, I was there for a long time, many years, but I think I was there longer than I needed to be. And I have a family, I have young kids. You've got to take that in consideration, but I think you can take risks. If you can perform, you have the ability to do so. I think you just, I think you take a leap of faith and you make it happen. And, and I'm glad I did. You had a full-time job in lending, and then when did Wildcat Lending, when was it founded? We formed it in November of 2014. We actually wrote our first loan in December of 2014. We didn't really open up operations, to be honest with you, I mean, fully. With you know, We had our full infrastructure built out and so forth until February of 2015. And then we didn't take an outside capital, create our fund, all those things until May of 2015. Okay, so you had a, a job at an established company up until 2014, and then you and your partners founded Wildcat Lending. For many, over a decade, and then, and then okay. I, uh, and I was invested for several years in a, in, a, in a similar type fund, which is where, I, you know, from the outside looking in, I got to understand what's going on on the side. 
And you were married in 2014, correct? I was, I was yeah, married and, in 2004, but I was still married in 2014. Okay, good, good. So, And you had kids at the time when you went from the company you'd been at for a decade to start your own? Yeah, I have a identical twin three-year-old boys, and I have a, a six-year about to turn seven-year-old boys. So I had very young kids. Wow. Other what? businesses as well, plus, you know, running sales for another company. So I've been busy. So now I'm setting the stage for the question because I want to make sure I had my facts straight. What was the conversation like with your wife when you said, I'm leaving this job that I've had for a decade. I'm going to start this new venture. Oh, man, do you really have to bring that back up? <laughs> no, the, the conversation really was, this is what I'm going to do. I believe in myself. And it was fun. I mean, my, my wife was really accepting of it. and She's seen what I've done before. And so she just believed in what I could do. And just she's a religious person. So she just she just looked up above and said, hey, it's, it's what it's meant to be. So she was really supportive, and, and she was great on that, and she just basically take control and do what I did, and hopefully she's still happy with that. When you left the company that you're at, were you making at least six figures? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how long did it take you to then make at least six figures whenever you got into Wildcat Lending? Man, you're going personal on me. To be honest with you, distributions in year one, 2015, were into that number. Not quite what I was making. You know, I was running sales for a company of, at one point, there were over 100 employees. And then, you know, with the downturn and, and the, the, you know, the recession and so forth, we got down to about 50 or 60. But, but running 20 to 30 loan officers doing anywhere from 20 to 60 million a month. So, but it was still really close, comparable to, on, as far as distributions are concerned, to what I was making when I left. But not, so, not quite. But then that, now we're in line and, and we're improving. That's great. In between those 12 months, and I asked this question, um, it's less about your dollars and cents. It's more about for anybody looking to take that leap from an established full-time job to doing their own thing and the psychology that's involved. Is there any advice that you would give someone who is in a similar situation is now looking to take that leap? In my opinion, I just think, it, you know, I always say if you have the it factor, you have the, you have the it. I mean, it's just a, at some point you've got to recognize that you're, you have the, you're given the God-given ability to, to perform, all right, at whatever level that it is. But there's, there's people that have given the, that have the it factor and there's people that don't. And, but the people that do, and if, you're, and if you're, you have a drive or you have a work ethic to go and expand, and, you know, in what you know and do and not be working for the man per se. I mean, basically you're in control. You're making the decisions and your decisions are very impactful. So my opinion would be to that is I think I waited too long, just, you know, taking all things into consideration and maybe being a little risk adverse. I think that if you have the ability to do it, I think you just know, understand it, believe in it. And I think you take a leap of faith and then your ability will take you from there. So, you know, that's the biggest thing for me anyways, is just understanding and having the confidence in myself to be able to do the things that I've done. And I just look back over years of, of performance and so forth. And then you take in all the out, you know, there's always the outside noise, you know, you're always listening to that and what if, what if, or, you know, maybe not, or this, that, and the other, but you know, at the end of the day, you just need to believe in yourself. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners, best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. 
That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K, investorgroup.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've read is Lone Survivor, Marcus Luttrell. Is that a play on words? No, it's L-O-N-E, Lone Survivor. So it's about the Navy SEALs that were killed in action. Got it. Got it. Yep, the exact opposite direction. Not real estate related, but it was a fantastic book and story. Best ever personal growth experience, and what did you learn from it? I think the best ever was taking initiative. At some point, you know, you got to believe in what you do and take an initiative. And instead of just depending on other people to do everything for you or for having a negative outlook on certain things that can maybe slow or prevent you from doing things, it's just if you want something done, you got to take the initiative and, and, and make it happen. And once I came to that mindset and started doing that, I mean, it really transitioned not only just performance, but just the whole entire work life and just your attitude and everything. So that would be my advice on that. Best ever deal or transaction you've done? Best ever deal is coming over to creating Wildcat Lending and creating a fund. I mean, that's the best thing by far. I'm taking millions of dollars from people and I'm giving, a, a, you know, on average a 15% annualized return on their money. I mean, where else are they getting that? So that really makes me very happy to be able to do that for people. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Uh you know, if you're talking about in real estate, um, I like to give back through service. I like to give back through being transparent with people, communicating, letting people understand what's going on before they can have to call and ask me. And I think from a service standpoint, just being sincere and, and really caring about your customers and also your outside, your, you know, your outside capital investors at, at this point in my life. But I think that's the best thing. But giving back, I mean, I coach my kids sports. So, you know, I, I'm involved in the church and community and, and uh, have other businesses I like to be involved in and create good environments for them. And uh, that's probably what I, how I can answer that. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? <laughs> we discussed it. The biggest mistake is not doing my own thing sooner. So staying where I was and, and, and I guess living in that content world and, and instead of just going out and saying, hey, you're capable more and actually doing it. You were in that job for 10 years. At what point should you have left? Now you're looking back on it. Probably, to be honest, I probably should have left before I took over the role of, of running sales for the organization, which was in 2012. I was with the organization from 2003 through 2014. Okay. All right. So you should, you're should you saying you should have left two years before you actually did? Probably, in my okay. opinion. And what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? At my office. So my office here in Dallas. And my number is 972-525-4777. And then my extension, personal extension, is number two. Well, Jeremy, thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about your evolution in your career in lending as a lender. Now you've got the fund with your two partners where you attribute your success to that based on how your your business is structured and we got into that with uh, bringing on investors as well as getting debt really cheap from banks and then also talking about taking risks and not being scared how you were at your job for 10 years prior to creating the fund and starting your own company and then getting into the details of what the psychology was like whenever you were venturing out on your own and how to approach that from an entrepreneur standpoint. Others might be in a similar situation. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you very much. It's very cool to be on the show with you and it's good to chat with you very much. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, 
has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.